Welcome to Robot Friends, the podcast that actively harms its audience. Episode 18, Eigenrobot vs. Ivy Asterix. Evening all, I'm here with Ivy Asterisk. She has a blog at Hivy, that's H-I-G-H-V-Y dot substack dot com. She's at Ivy Asterisk on Twitter. And she has, I understand, the absolutely coveted at Ivy handle on Clubhouse, which we're going to talk about tonight. Ivy, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. And uh, just to make sure everyone has the right spelling on the Twitter, it's it's Ivy. A-S-T-R-I-X, because I'm one of those weird people with the oh, X right. last name. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for clarifying that. Oh, you're welcome. I, I've been fucking this up left and right. Like, <laughs> it's good. Polymath, it's good. Don't yeah. worry. Don't worry. No, no. Well, it's, it's interesting. I just, as a matter of identity, I know people, Some like Polymath, I know in real life, and I know him on Twitter as Polymath, but I also know him by his handle. And it turns out that his like his display name is different than his. It's anyway. It's it's a fuck up. I like it though. I'm glad there's this multiplicity of identity because I think it sort of undermines some of the like, you know, personal identification uh, infrastructure that can exist. Identity should be fluid. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I guess this originated because you know a lot about clubhouse drama and I don't know anything about it at this point, but I'm sort of interested in learning. It feels important to know about, even if I'm not like generating it or participating in it, but um, you're thinking about starting out with, with some thoughts about the topic to to jure the whatever month is, um, which I I guess is Scott again. So what's, what's on your mind? Yeah. So I thought it'd be a good lead in because as you say, it's the current popular thing for uh, all of us cool Twitter kids to uh, talk about and oh, so cool yeah obviously <laughs> oh wow cats uh sorry go on there's a yeah. there's a spat in the background <laughs> um and actually i just had a clubhouse chat with a few um rationalist people about it and it's really interesting that one of the main topics of um, discussion was at what point if any did the intent of that story change from something good to you know something not so good which is what ended up being published and um yeah like I think, like, I think it's some it, it's a better thing to discuss journalism and whatever around because I think the other popular thing now, if you're going to talk about Clubhouse, uh, you have to talk about Taylor Lorenz. Um, and I just think that <laughs> yes. is, like, it's just, like, such a lowball spat. Like, I've, I've like, spoken with uh, Taylor once on Clubhouse. She's nice. She's, she's whatever. It's fine. She's, she's, she's like, I don't think she's malicious, but... Um, it, like it's just kind of a don't you? A, well, I okay. I mean, I, I'm I, not. I don't want to egg you on to. It's a complex topic. Like I think that she is well intentioned and she does what she does because she thinks it's the way to get the platform to change how it how it governs itself. Uh, but it's more or less the same story over and over over the past couple months. I mean, you maybe changed some of the details. Um, and like, I just think that um, the Slate Star Codex issue is just, it's more, there's more depth to it. Like, it's not just this platform doesn't moderate the way I, I like, so it's bad. And I'm going to keep saying that until, you know, it, it uh, changes. Whereas SSC, I think, is a really pertinent topic of like, at, of like, at what point 
does the does the importance of the public knowing who your source really is outweigh uh, or the the um a topic of a story like at what point does that outweigh a person telling you like yo no i do not want my name revealed in your in your piece um and like it's just due to the fact that 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 scott's blog has been around for so long and and it's it's and like there's obviously intersections with a lot of influential, you know, Twitterati and like Silicon Valley people that I think it's, it's a, it's a better crystallization of a lot of the culture workforces that are, that are going on now versus, Oh, social media platform doesn't do things the way I want them. They're bad, blah, blah. Yeah. So, so I think, I mean, like looping to what you were saying and, and the question of whether, I feel like there are a number of threads there. And one of them is the question of whether or not journalists are being malicious. I mean, you mentioned Taylor Lorenz. And then there's also the question of like, when, if ever, Cade Metz was thinking about writing a a piece that was straight investigative versus what actually came out and and what might have changed that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, some of the consequent stuff that came out, like the like rational wiki guy is on mad because uh, he <sighs> might have not like, not like intentionally started the piece with like, yo, fuck Scott Alexander. Let, let's get that guy. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I think it's really, really interesting. And I just think it's got the most, the most importance right now. Um, but but I mean, really, it's like really hard for me, I think, to really get a good picture because I have it kind of cemented in my mind that the New York Times board, due to various things over the past couple of years, um, such as uh, the the Moon Rocks lady, who who we shall not name my name, uh, gets a Ra- Brianna Wu, who is one of the major uh, players. in. Oh, uh, oh, um, I forgot um, about her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, it seems Sorry, like can, I'll bleep that out if you like. Yeah, no, 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 for, no, it's, it's fine. Uh, so like she, she gets a, a piece, it seems every year, every couple of months. Here's why X topic was actually caused by Gamergate. Here's why Donald Trump was elected because of Gamergate. Oh yeah. Like if there was an asteroid hurtling towards the, the earth, here's why this asteroid was actually caused by Gamergate. So, so I have this thing in my head that the like New York times board is just this hard, hard left like we we want to make these pieces to like fuck over these these people we don't like, but I mean that's probably that's probably not realistic, and it and might just be that uh, Cade wanted to do this or Cade's Cade's editor. But like I think that these kind of culture war things get so kind of convoluted, and you kind of have to pick a side at uh, some point that it leads to this false impression of like where these stories actually come from. Yeah. So the the picking aside, are you saying that you think that, that you have the impression that journalists have to pick a side, or just everybody reacting to the story has to pick a no, side? No, just what? no, just kind of reacting to it. And and like it's good you mentioned that because I've actually talked to quite a few um, journalism and you know journalism related uh, people on 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 Clubhouse and. There's this common thread that um, they all say journalism was never truly like objective. So to to say, well, this reporter is bad or this outlet's bad because they're not objective enough isn't a, isn't a valid criticism. And like I think that's that's kind of true. Like I think we do 
like look back on 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 most things as we do when we kind of idolize you know past decades or or like whatever as like old journalism as this perfect um thing where it was only only stories based on the facts and it was reporters only uncovering corruption i think that you know it's probably always biased um but but you know also there are there's some journalists who are clearly more like would be better classified as like opinion piece writers and like opinion columnists for sure yeah yeah well and that the the historical aspect is interesting and I, i think about that a lot and i mean it seems like one difference between now and the past is that you know there i think there really did in the before times exist a a sort of over narrative that everybody just was willing to buy into um david auerbach had in his newsletter um very good auerbach is great and i wish he were better known he he had this idea that there was this overculture and i think in the past news was i do think new like journalists really did attempt to be more objective in the way they reported. I've, I, you know, I've listened to Mickey Kaus and Robert Wright go on about their idea of how journalism should be done. And, you know, of course there was bias that crept in, but they, the, there actually was an effort if they're representative to try and recognize one's own bias. Yes. But then to, to try and minimize it and generalize out to a point where, you know, there was some sort of something approaching objectivity or, or at least some common, intersubjectivity and and some kind of like epistemological common denominator and i i think you know this acknowledgement that oh of course we can never really hit some some ideal of objectivity doesn't necessarily mean that you should go from that to say so you know forget it we don't need to be objective at all and i think that might be what happens somewhat frequently yeah and it's a really weird thing for people in media to to say so like i wonder then if it's been a change that has been happening in like journalism school journalism outlets for a while and and maybe it's just now like getting really really widespread um or you know i've just i i've just randomly came across a uh, a cross section of of like media people that um believe in it and maybe it's it's a more left wing thing because uh, a clubhouse even even prior to the current uh, ultra woke uh, incarnation like did lean pretty pretty like liberal ish like there's there's maybe ten or twelve people you could you could say were definitely conservative on it um, yeah so yeah it's definitely interesting so is, is clubhouse pretty dominated by journalists at this point. Yeah, so um, when I joined, it was in in um, September, September third, I think. So, so at the time, there were a couple. Um, Taylor Lorenz, obviously, obviously being uh, the most famous, but there were a couple others. And um, I think w- what actually happened. There's a good article, and I am slapping myself now because I can't remember the outlet, but basically uh, one of the, one of the clubhouse users when, you know, the whole like, Oh, this platform's rife with, with like harassment. This is awful. Um, um, stuff really, really kicked into high gear. She uh, basically started inviting because the way that it works still is even though it's a public app store and it's got, it's got like 6 million users, you can only get an account if someone on the platform already invites you. 
So uh, what this person mm-hmm. did is she basically said, well, uh, we can't have this platform here without journalists basically to like cover it and to expose the problems, blah, blah, blah. So she made her mission to actually invite journalists on and like, um, so basically to, to, to answer your question, uh, there are, are quite a few now, uh, there's people from like NPR, there's some people from CNN, um, one, and once again, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but one of the famous like election cycle CNN guys is on there. Um, so, I mean, there's mm. there's a lot of um, um, journalists, I would say now. So then it brings into question the whole, well, you know, if you open a room, should you automatically assume there's a journalist in there? I, I don't know if that's true. But, you know, because there's like so many people now, if you open a public room, you should probably assume it's going to re- be recorded anyway. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Is is that against terms of service? Well, it's like, it's kind of murky because basically. I mean, de jure. Yeah. Yeah. But what the guidelines say is you can't um, share it. Um, basically, it's a bit uh, a wordier than this, but you can't share information without the consent of everyone that's like involved in the, in the conversation. But like people do this all the time and Taylor's done this like, like all over and over. Like she like transcribed basically um, some convos. And so did uh, people from other outlets like um, Vanity Fair. So, I mean, people do it and it's very, like, it's very unlikely you will get, you'll get suspended if you do it. I think like if you did it to someone really, really, really fake, like if you did it to a, a, um, a, a blue check, basically you probably get suspended, but I think there's not that much. Uh, so danger. Are, are there, are there blue check analogs? So there kind of is, uh, I guess like culturally, you know, those kind of groups have, have formed, uh, to where it's like, you know, we're kind of the, the like community hall monitors and here's what's allowed on the platform. We can't have dangerous conversations. Now, as far as an actual group that the platform endorses, uh, probably about two months ago, I would say they made this thing called the creator program. And really it's, it's more like uh, discord partner or like Twitch partner. So it's this group of uh, people that were selected by the founders and they say they will, they, they will open it up um, and uh, um, add more people. But basically this um, group of people in this group has access to a, a WhatsApp group, uh, this private group. Uh, basically groups on clubhouse are, are uh, called clubs and there's this private group for them. And, what has been said is that this uh, group will let you, they will be given monetization features and other features before everyone else. So it's more or less a like pilot program for mm. um, um, creators. So it's more like a, it, it's more like a partner program, but there's actually a, a, a line in the, in the, in the community guidelines about don't put fake check marks or verification on your, on your profile picture that will get you suspended. So it's hilarious until that rule went in, huh. everyone was putting like, check marks or clubhouse specific check mark is this little like rope or ring they put around the outside of your profile photo because basically profile photos are like twitters they're they're round so people put these like gold and green ropes around the outside of their profile pictures as a and and this is their words influencer signal so they're they're like putting flair all over their profile pictures some of them are faking forbes covers like they'll photoshop themselves into a Forbes cover. That's in. <laughs> it's awful. That's, 
It's That's awful. certainly tendentious. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and do, I mean, like, do people actually respond to this with some kind of respect or, or is it more like blue checks oh, yeah. on Twitter where it's like, Oh, look at this. Well, it's basically both. There is a, a like small group of us who've been on the platform for a while. Like, uh, yeah, those, those people are fucking losers. Oh my God. But they have their own club called the Power Circle. And what they do with this basically is sell scam ebooks to people. So, 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 <laughs> so, like, so like they'll say, uh, yeah, I have this awesome course on how to be a clubhouse influencer. Uh, if you want to uh, PayPal me like $15,000. Uh, I'll give you this like ebook on on all the like secrets and people and people and so, some not everyone but s- some people do it uh, and this is how some of the clubhouse influencers make money. So it's kind of awful. <sighs> so what? All right. So apart from apart from if you're a journalist. So I mean, what one other thing you mentioned that I want to just touch on briefly there was the incident where i think taylor lorenz accused was it mark andreessen mark, oh yes 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 okay. so i mean like so so i mean like it seems like reporting the contents of a room against somebody's will and not, not even the fact that she got it completely wrong which is also fun but i mean the fact that i mean Mar- mark andreessen is not a non-influential figure And so she was, I mean, like, it seems like he could have complained. And if the theory is like, if you violate these terms and someone important complains, do you get kicked off? But she's still, wait, or did she get kicked out? Okay. So, uh, yes, that's a very good point because not only is Mark Andreessen obviously influential, uh, obviously Andreessen Horowitz is named after him and that's the primary investor in Clubhouse now, A16Z, uh, is basically the the like majority investor. So there's anyone who, who can get her kicked off. It's definitely Andreessen. I don't know for sure off the top of my head. And, and while we're talking, I'm just going to check uh, the status of her account. But she she has basically said on Twitter she has a burner that that she's using. So I mean, like already. Oh no, actually, her original account is uh, still there. The reason she has a burner is because huh. the way so the way they made blocking work. And this and this was after uh, the great weekend, which I currently have chronicled on my Substack, where someone invited Sean Spicer and Anthony Scaramucci, and uh, the whole platform lost their shit. It was a <laughs> five hour, five hour like struggle session with the founders, during which one of them cried. Um, and really, made, yeah. So I'm Funny. gonna. I'm going to say I, w- I was not there personally. I said my 10 minute, please don't fuck up this platform and left. But I've heard it from, from enough like reputable people that I, I have confidence. So uh, it actually happened. So um, basically blocking works now uh, before if you block someone, it would just tell you, Oh, yo person is in the room you're in, you know, and basically that'd be your cue to leave more or less. Now, if you block someone, mm. um, they can't see a room you're in and uh, they, they obviously can't get in. So basically it kind of keeps you, keeps you separate from them. So the reason that Mm -hmm. uh, she has a burner is because a lot of journalists are blocked on, on clubhouse. So, I mean, even that her tweeting about that is a pretty blatant violation of the terms. And like, I just think you have to do some really, really, really bad shit to get, to get suspended. So this is almost for, for her at least 
uh, kind of a non-issue. Now, I think it's also kind of a non-issue for her because the minute they like suspend her, that's Clubhouse hit piece number, whatever it is, comes out the next day. Like a club clubhouse. Oh, yeah, but they're doing that anyway. Well, I think it would be worse. I think her, like her, she, she did a piece on the creators program. That was actually very, very nice. Like it was very, very favorable towards clubhouse. Uh, I think uh, the piece post Lorenz sus- suspension would, would not be as nice, but yes, true. So it sounds like you're buying into the theory that journalists write retributive pieces. Well, I mean, if you look at the New York Times history, I think that outlet is more more likely to do it. Um, I think that a lot of journalists know they have a pretty pretty large platform, and they can and like they have that power. And I think that not a lot of them uh, are particularly beholden to journalistic ethics. The like in in the traditional sense, if they think, well, I I well. It's okay if I use it this time because they're really bad people or this is a really important cause or, or, or. Um, so I think it's just too tempting. And like, I think that the Trump era did definitely change that to where some people who would, who would normally be, well, that's not really ethical. I don't really want to make this a like hit piece would say, oh, well, but it's, it's Donald Trump. So then, you know, it's, it's fine. We'll, we'll like just, just do it for him. But I mean, obviously, as yeah. as usually happens, oh, well, we're we're like only going to do it until this this thing's over. That it that kind of never goes away. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that pretty much scores with my point of view. Like, it, it feels like there's maybe been some sort of a some sort of a Rubicon that's been cost, crossed, or you know some some kind of a I don't know, like something is broken and it's not the sort of thing that you can easily put back together without, mm-hmm. I don't know, some kind of outside force. I mean, it, it does also feel like there's a, like there's not some kind of a shared narrative in the same way that there used to be. And I mean, I, it, it seems like to me, journalism is not, not universally. I mean, I know some journalists who are exasperated by a lot of this, but Mm-hmm. But institutionally, journalism, especially as you know, represented by places like New York Times, say, like, has really thrown in its lot with one of the competing cultures, rather than trying to act as some kind of a buffer or intermediary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I think it's really unfortunate, but I also do kind of see their point of view in terms of like, well, if like we don't do it and we don't do it response, like if we do it, we can do it responsibly. But if we don't do it, then like some someone else will, and they might not handle it as responsibly. So it's this really weird thing that that I actually see repeated a bunch. That's well, this th- this would be bad if if like bad people did it, but you know we we have to do something temporarily bad just because you know this is so this is such a unprecedented situation and like i think there's a bit of logic to that but like i think you know it's just not not long before you, you decide well you know this is kind of a nice mechanism to get away with lots of you know really underhanded shit so we're just going to keep using it I, I think no one ever puts it back in the in the box after it after it starts yeah it's not very kantian of them no, no, definitely so, not. 
<laughs> so like, okay. So what's, I mean, what's the state of affairs in clubhouse right now? Do Are, are there divisions that, Oh yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine that there are that many, I can't imagine, for example, that there there are that many people who might even affiliate with Trump in any meaningful sense using oh, no, the no, platform. No, no. So uh, back to the Spicer Scaramucci weekend. So it's like after that weekend and the big, basically political demonstration. Um, yeah, there were some notable Trump users and like someone actually who worked on on the on, on the Trump campaign. And the like funniest thing ever was that someone who worked on the Biden campaign regularly talked with this guy and they were, they were like, whatever, it's fine. Like there's this real division between, yeah. between like actual real life politics. Like people were like, Oh my God, you know, how can Nancy Pelosi even be in the same building? Like when, when the like cameras aren't on Pelosi and McConnell are like joking and they're like friends like that, like that's how it works. And then there's like, the like yeah. Twitter contingent or social media, like whatever their kind of conception of politics, not being in it. They're like, well, they're bad and we can never be friends with them. And, and like, blah, blah, blah. So um, basically that right after that weekend clubhouse began turning ultra woke. And yeah, like there were no even remotely like center, right. Even people on it because the minute they would like join a room or, or, you know, try and talk about their own, the, like the woke like word salad incantations would would like start about you know these are dangerous ideas or like they're gonna they're gonna disrupt our like safe space like there was this like existential threat that was basically gone over in this room that if if like Ben Shapiro gets on the platform and he's gonna like desecrate this our nice little safe space here so uh basically long story short back in like uh mid-october there was like all the right-wing people were like yeah fuck this we're out of here um some of them came back but they never talk about politics anymore um so um with that in mind like i would say like politically it's kind of halfway between liberal and like ultra woke but but now there's like so many people what you see is like completely personalized on like who you follow um, but, yeah. but, uh, there's been a kind of neat little tying together of like early, early clubhouse and like current clubhouse. So, um, I won't say his, his like actual name just, just in case I, I, I don't think he cares, but, but, but just in case. So there was a, uh, a yeah, user yeah. who is, who is quite notable, uh, in, in the early days, basically it's pretty widely thought he kind of has fuck you money now. So he would uh, go on Clubhouse, yeah, and basically he he came up as the the founder of a mobile game company, which eventually got acquired. So you know that that's where it's kind of surmised the um, "fuck you" money comes from. And he would host these rooms, yeah. which, which were kind of like holding court. So it was kind of like a radio show, but not really, because he would basically just just go off about woke people or just go off about like whatever. And have all these people up with him. And my like um, second day on on Uncle Bus, someone told me about these rooms, and they're like, "Yeah, so like this guy goes on stage, and he has all these other guys around him. And like, even if they don't believe him or they know what he's saying isn't true, they kind of like don't tell him because they want to get in, in his good book. So this really like hilarious thing, like halfway between like radio show and like something else. So that was a real bastion of like like right wingish kind of thought uh the more left clubhouse referred to it as the the alt-right room of course 
and he's he's actually come back he's come back in the last like two or three weeks and it's been this like renaissance because there's there's this very like normie-ish like your your like overton window is like two inches is wide here's what you can talk about and he just came back and just started just just started going after all of it and it was it was and it was pretty good and i think actually now i think there might be kind of a right renaissance too because um people like Mike Solana are now doing more clubhouse rooms and we're seeing just like openly like uh, rooms. <laughs> like there was one and like, I, I'm not quite this, this far right, but there's one that, that was, was labeled uh, TL and other NYT journalists that, that, that should be in jail, which you would have never seen like two uh-huh. few weeks ago, a month ago. So, so I think maybe now that it's grown so oh, much. Dear, yeah. Yeah. So that's the that's the current snapshot anyway. Yeah. Yeah, have you read I've I've gone on about this book before, but Private Truths Public Lies by um Timur Kuran? Mm, I do not believe I have, no. Okay. So for anyone who hasn't read it, the the basic idea of it is that the the set of a, a really simplified version of it is that the set of opinions that people are willing to express in a public space is partly dependent on what they see other people expressing in that public space. And so if you were to walk into clubhouse and absolutely nobody was, you know, a right wing shitster to, to use Will Wilkinson's terminology. um, Like it's very unlikely that you would yourself just, just because it seems like maybe that's a relatively dangerous thing to do socially. Uh, Again, I'm I'm massively oversimplifying Quran, but I, I could sort of see I could sort of see it being dangerous in a social setting. If, if you wanted to maintain some kind of uniform, like uniformity of content that, that, that might be displayed. If you want to keep that, that Overton window narrow to like have somebody show up and say something outside of an Overton window and then not be punished for it. Like it seems like being able to punish somebody for straying outside of a window is essential to actually maintaining the, the boundaries of that window. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there was not, I guess, that kind of punishment mechanism back in like September, I would say it only really, really started maybe like mid October, early um, um, November. And what, and and what, how did it, how did they actually manage punishment? Yeah, so basically, it's it like it takes one or two forms. Like, uh, the first one is it'll leak on Twitter and people will like, I think sometimes willfully, Maybe they're just hearing what they want to hear, whatever, whichever one it is. Um, they will mischaracterize what that person said on on Twitter, and like this happened as recently as as like three days ago, where someone uh, one one side is uh, there was this person who removed a person of color just because they're a person of color. The other side is no, he he was removing a whole bunch of people from stage, so. That's the that's the one way of, of punishment, and basically the reason that that's punishment is because if you uh, if you toss the labels of you know racism, white supremacist, whatever, uh, the next stop is their job, obviously. So that's one way yeah. that there's punishment. The other way is kind of these really dumb like uh, like clubhouse reaction rooms are like Twitter subtweets. So like so like I'll make a room that'll say. Um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm doing a podcast with robot in like five minutes. Um, I'm, I'm asking anything. 
and then someone else could could open a room that says uh it is super problematic ivy is talking to robot and you just go on and on and on so i don't know if that's punishment so much as well like it's more shame than like punishment i guess but like that that happens all the time yeah 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 if like someone talks about some kind of forbidden topic then they'll be like 10 rooms of like, oh my God, can you believe these like dangerous ideas are, are, are like happening on our platform? Um, and then of course, th- there'll be people adding the founders or they'll bring it up during town halls that, yeah, this is awful. Uh, there, w- there was a big, big thing about like invite policing too way back. I think it's, it's, it's a lot less now because when it was like smaller, even though they've always said, we're going public, this isn't Soho, like, the, like the, this is always going to be public. People invited uh, people like Russell Simmons on, who obviously has a lot of um, rape allegations. I think he's he's also been convicted. And they oh. were like, uh, well, like, we can't oh. have him on. Yeah. So uh, th- that was- I have no idea who he is. Okay. Yeah. So he's a big um, I'm a music industry mogul. I don't really either. I just, I just, I just know bits mm-hmm. and pieces. So yeah. 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 So, I mean, there were, there were a lot of things like that too. Uh, like a Curtis Yarvin is, is, is like kind of, kind of this like bellwether of like controversy for each, for each kind of like method of, of like socializing. Because I remember when Lambda Conf banned him because of like off, off platform mold bug, uh, um, blog pieces. Right. Yeah. And, um, Clubhouse and basically he, he doesn't do clubhouse rooms anymore, but it was like, you know, uh, people basically taking to Twitter, adding the founders, adding Taylor, adding like everyone to get coverage being like, you, you have this neo-Nazi, you know, which I think is a bit of a stretch in Curtis's case, but that, that's a whole other, that, that's a, that's a whole other, other podcast. Um, you have, you have this like neo-Nazi yeah. on here. How, how dare you? We're going to get it in the papers. I super don't want to really get mo bug. No, yeah. uh, we shall not do that. But Basically, it's either <laughs> Twitter to your job, Twitter to the media, Twitter to people who might be able to to impact some kind of like um, social consequences on you. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, like, it does seem like the sort of situation. <sighs> the, I mean, the 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 recourse to institutional authorities is something that's pretty interesting to me. Do you have any idea whether that was present historically? Like you would go and write an op-ed and then people would try to get you fired from your job. Mm. You know, I, yeah, like I want to say that it's always been a thing as far as like, uh, I guess if you want to call it viewpoint journalism, like I do vaguely remember a lot of things that involve like, like printed material, like, Oh my God, I can't believe they, they like ran this story. I can't believe they, they uh printed this story so so like i think that's been around for like forever and ever i think this thing of like using social media as a conduit um is relatively new but but like by new i mean you know know, the past 10 years yeah 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 i'm just trying to think back and i'm like what has gotten people run out of society and i guess i mean it seems like maybe as late as the 80s it was actually breaking the law in some way or another, probably having an affair. I mean, that, that was always a big deal for politicians, though clearly nobody cares about that anymore. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's it's interesting. I go back and I read some of the interviews that journalists used to do with people. And the openness is incredible. I, I mean, really breathtaking. There was a, 
I think a Minneapolis Tribune, which isn't even a paper anymore. They emerged with a star where they, they were just going up and down this neighborhood in Minneapolis and asking people on the street what they thought of the hydrogen bomb and printing that person's picture, their full name, often mm. their address. And, and the answers were generally nonsensical. I mean, just really bizarre stuff. Like, well, I wonder if this is, you know, disrupting the, the rotation of the earth yeah, yeah, yeah. or uh, that sort of thing. But I mean, just, just the amount of trust that you would have to have in a society to not only be willing to answer questions like that in, in whatever way you wanted, and they, they would just print that, but then like print it with your name and address. I mean, that's remarkable to me. And I'm trying to imagine how one would even get back to a place like that. Yeah, I think it's really hard, but but I think like like hearing that is is like super interesting because I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of have this conception that you know journalists um, kind of doxing people like that basically um, only began in this kind of uh, maybe Trump era of of like the like um, um, earliest I can think of is. That that CNN journalist guy who docks someone for making for making memes about um, a someone I can't recall it exactly, but uh, like it would not surprise me if that has been going on for a while too prior to like uh, a social media. Yeah, no, I mean like it, it, jur- there have been complaints about journalists just going and destroying people for decades. I mean, I remember in the eighties, for example. You know, there was, I think, a Don Henley song called Dirty Laundry, which was just just an absolute attack on journalism and and like the ethics and mores of journalism. And there were things like um, Tom Wolfe when he wrote Bonfire of the Vanities. I mean, one of the villains explicitly was a journalist. And so I, I don't see these sorts of complaints as new, but you know, these complaints about journalists misrepresenting stories and trying to stir up shit for their own benefit in order to, you know, gain more prominence and doing so with, you know, kind of aggressive disregard for people who are just trying to go through their lives. But it, I don't know, it it almost, I wonder if there's an extent to which it's sort of been socialized. You know, it feels like there's an element of prescription. And if you get somebody's name written on the wall, then they're they're just suddenly outlawed and you can go after their head. And I I don't know. I I guess it's not exactly like if the government were doing that and at you know explicitly asking your servant to to go and cut off your head and bring it to the forum and then you you know they'd be rewarded. But I think there is some some kind of an element where where the general public is invited to participate that that really leaves me with a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah, like social media shaming has been compared to like people getting put in the in the stocks and like having tomatoes thrown at them. Uh, if you get a like pile on of like thousands of people, like it could like I can imagine it it, it feeling much the same way. Um, and like I think that a lot of our old comparisons when it comes to you know free speech and public square and like whatever, like really are kind of outdated when you look at the power of being able to like rally so many people around basically like 
casting someone out. Um, one of one of the um, more right wing clubhouse people actually wrote a blog after the um, uh, Capitol Hill riots, and he said that uh, human beings were not meant to communicate by millions of imbeciles um, yelling at each other at the at the speed of light. Um, so I and I mean I think yeah. that's, that I think it's accurate. Like th- this is not how we're supposed to communicate with each other. How many Clubhouse users are there? So we were able to actually find out to the to the exact number a while ago, but they closed that that like API loophole. So the last uh, verified count I had was around six million people. Um, no shit. Yeah, like it got to to like COVID basically growth, like probably when they hit 1 million and then just keeps like doubling, like every certain amount of time, like 2 million and, and, uh, and then 4 million and then, and then 6 million. Uh, I, I would bet on them hitting 10 million probably by like April at the latest. So that, so that's interesting to me though, because I don't, I mean, I think the other thing is that I see, I see participation in the public sphere as actually being somewhat restricted. Like, yes, there are, say maybe there are millions of people on Clubhouse, but how many of them have actually ever run a room of any appreciable yeah. size? Yeah. And, you know, I look at Twitter and it's like, okay, on one hand, you know, there are God knows how many, many millions of people, but most of them don't actually command very large audiences. Even, I mean, I was talking about this the other day, but I, even people that I interact with on a regular basis who you know, I think highly of, and I come across their tweets and like, yeah, this person's fantastic. Occasionally I'll accidentally see their follower count. It's like, Oh, there are like 300 people following you. And Mm -hmm. so it's, I I think there's maybe an illusion of democracy. And in fact, like the number of people who have genuine influence or ability to push conversations in different ways is perhaps pretty small, unless you get really lucky and and go viral in some way through some Mm -hmm. odd content. Although I guess that's real. I guess virality is real. I mean, like Justine Sacco, for example, when she yeah. was canceled. I mean, that, that felt really bottoms up. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'm talking myself out of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it would, like with like Clubhouse in uh, a particular, there was a, a really crucial point in the platform's history where when I joined, uh, there was no room filtering because there was only like 7,000 people. And you mm-hmm. could see all the rooms. And if you ever wanted to talk about current events, a great way to do it was just name a room like, whatever and because there that population was so small and everyone saw the same rooms that would become your like discussion room and like lots of people got their followers like that myself included so now it's much more filtered much more algorithm and uh clubhouse has has this list of users that they recommend when you join there actually used to be a list of users that you followed automatically when it was really 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 small um and I mean, mm. people have have complained about this, and like I will say that the people with like five hundred thousand followers, a million followers, two million followers, they are generally the ones that were on that list. And you know, there's been questions like Mark Andreessen does not use the platform. You know, we think that much, so why is he on this list? Uh, you know, there. Are, you know, I, I won't get into to the really petty stuff, but like, there are some people who are who are close to the founders yeah, yeah. who people think are only on that list because they're friends. Blah blah blah. Um, but I think Clubhouse was actually really democratized at at one time. 
um, which was really, really interesting. Like in many ways, it was a little bit of a window back in time for, 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 for like a, a, a couple of weeks after I joined back to like nineties in terms of like forms culture and it wasn't all this policing. Oh and was, God, I miss it so much. It was, I, I was like, I, and like basically when you join in, in, in those days, uh, you had a, you had access to this room with the uh, founders and it would be only people who actually joined during that week. And like, I, uh, I, I told Paul Davidson, like this, this reminds me of when Twitter was good. Like this reminds me of forums when we had this shit, right. When like forums got, got like social media. So correct. Like small, purposeful it's this community around this thing not throw everyone into this huge thing and then everyone wants to kill each other uh, and and i basically said please don't fuck this up and i i think there's really nothing they could have done anyway just would have this would have gone gone sideways regardless but um yeah like it was truly uh, truly amazing like truly amazing like uh, to the point i was raving about it pretty consistently for a couple of weeks so man okay that has me thinking how do you how do you get back to a situation where you have a community that's pre-eternal September? Cause it sounds like that's the problem. Like yeah. you want some kind of mechanism like the internet used to be where it was very difficult to get access to it, but almost everybody who was on was pretty good or at least new people were coming on at a pace such that, you know, they, they could be a cultured, and and acclimated to the the local norms and not be not be quite so terrible. But then, of course, you know, suddenly there's a flood with AOL or whatever, and yeah, it was game over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. and then and then, of course, worse again once once mobile happened. So, like, do do we just need to make a new internet that's a pain in the ass to get onto, but yes. good again? Um, I would say yes. I I have fingers crossed for for both internet too and a way we can keep the normies off of internet too forever. But oh, holy shit. Okay. Yes. One Stay of the, on. But one of the most important things about clubhouse, like at least old, old clubhouse was that really due to, to the fact that, you know, it was, it was pretty niche. It was the VIP room. You know, everyone wanted to be on it. Oh, Oprah's on it. Oh, like John Mayer's on it. Yeah. Um, so, they are. yeah, yeah. So, um, the like with all respect to the to the clubhouse team like they get a lot of work for free out of the community because the clubhouse is this it thing so people were doing like welcome rooms and like how-to documents that uh, these are just users that just want to contribute right so part of that was a couple of users uh began this like onboarding culture so like because the 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 flow was like so so small uh, each person would be onboarded in a room. And so it'd be like, it'd be like, Hey, I'm, and, and like, I wasn't because I wasn't actually invited on They They had this website where you could apply. And like, I guess they looked at my Twitter and thought it was, that was good enough or whatever. But, um, there nice. would be these, yeah. So, Oh, Oh yeah. Like when I got that met, like, and I got it like a day after applying back when it was still fucking hard to get on clubhouse that I'm, I'm still riding off the, off that high. If I, if, if I'm to be, uh, completely honest, but, um, there was this like onboarding culture of like, okay, like here, here are all of the norms. Uh, everyone like will will always, will always like assume best intentions. Um, PTR, which is pull to refresh, basically like refreshing uh. your photo to like communicate stuff. All these like norms that should be in a document, but because the platform got all this work for free, they they weren't. 
Um, basically that, that was what each person's onboarding experience was like. And, and like, imagine if you could do that for any other social media platform, what that would be like. Uh, so, I mean, so, I mean, it was great. And like, there was no trolling at all whatsoever because these were generally very highly curated invites. I, I always thought, and I still think that the platform, like the platform when like, like Andreessen Horowitz came on, it was always going to be, we need user growth. So it's like, regardless of uh, like how pleasant it is, like we just want user growth. I think prior to that, had they not gone that direction, maybe they could have built something like Digital Soho. Uh, and like, I, I always felt they they like threw that away pretty pretty readily without really understanding what they had built because everyone back then would say, oh, it was awesome. You know, could have conversations about like really, really intense topics. Everyone was so nice. There was no trolling. Uh, there was very little anti-Semitism. There was no transphobia. There was no blah, 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 blah. Um, and when that kind of uh, was, you know, um, ruined in the words of people, of people Anti-Semitism like was the first thing to show up. I Yeah, yeah, I would... I would say so. Now, now, obviously, like, are people huh. going to be anti-Semitic to me? No, but you know, just. Uh, but I will, I will get to that in uh, just a minute. So, what yeah. kind of happened to like overturn this? Is it used to be you didn't get invites until you were on the platform for like seven days? So you know, come on, you kind of see how it was. You you get a feel for it. But and and maybe because they were afraid that Twitter Spaces was was going to steal their thunder. Uh, then they changed it. So people got invites on their first day. And that was when, to my mind, trolling really started. Um, and that was when things really turned. And, you know, just to be uh, um, blunt here, as we like to be, um, this was also around the time that um, the platform diversified, I think, uh, quite quite quickly compared to what had been happening. So, I mean, part of the whole like backstory as well, you know, it's only Silicon Valley bros, which it kind of was. So we've got to diversify, you know, which is great, but they had no, no on-platform community management, no way to like integrate properly Silicon Valley tech elite and music industry, people from Atlanta, you know, leaders in the black community, black communities. Like if you just threw those together, and did nothing because their their community management or the way they did this was they would bias invites towards certain people in certain communities. So like I might get one invite and someone in this community will get like 20 or 100 or, or like 1,000. And that's how they, quote unquote, yeah. diversified the culture. But I mean, it's really a poor way to do it because you just you basically just made this community a lot bigger, you know, which is great because I was tiring of the whole like tech bro thing. It, it kind of got old after a while, but anyway, yeah. if you just like throw these things together and like things, things just kind of happen, like, uh, with regards to the, to the, um, um anti-Semitism, I mean, th that's a whole thing in itself, but, um, Louis Farrakhan and some of his, like some of his relatives were act and may still be actually oh, on the no. platform. He was conferenced in once, uh, there was a particularly oh, awful, no nation of islam room that made a lot of the jewish people and had i been there would have, would have made me not so happy so it was really when they just took this well, i was afraid you were gonna say that yep it was really when they had this well we're getting these like bad news stories about how we're all tech bros which was maybe not 
100% accurate, but, you know, it, it was there. Um, we need to fix this. And they didn't do it thoughtfully. Yeah. It was just, well, okay, yeah, we'll give these people invites. Please get all these people on. We'll just throw them together. And, like, that's when everything went kind of sideways. And, like, you couldn't even talk. Like, this is the thing. And this is when I think it went ultra woke because you couldn't even talk about it. If you, like, there was a room called, uh, you know, would you stay or would you go? How is the clubhouse culture changing? where, you know, people said their things and anyone involved in that room whatsoever, which, which also includes me. Cause I just basically said, yeah, you know, this is a really cool place. It's kind of sucky that this change that, you know, we're, we're losing this really nice welcoming culture. Anyone who even talked to that room was labeled a white supremacist. Yeah. And you couldn't, you couldn't talk about culture because talking about culture was racist with the understanding that culture fit is a way racism can creep into workplaces it was it was ultra woke like absurd you couldn't even talk about this so naturally the that transition happened real quick and we have the current state of uh, audio hell site as i as i like to call it yeah so what i don't know what what are some lessons that you're taking away from all of this i mean it sounds like there's some some problems in some sense initially. And then now there are a lot more problems than, yeah. than previously existed. Yeah. Uh, well, like, I mean, the, the key points to when clubhouse was in it, the prime pristine, like, Oh my God, this is a different place was that it was, it was small that there was this kind of unspoken common social contract due to that welcoming onboarding kind of culture that, that um, I'm used to be there. And, like, I think part of it had to do with, like, audio social being so new. And, like, there was this real spirit of, like, exploring and being curious. And, like, oh, okay, we'll try a room where we play Never Have I Ever by changing our profile pictures to red or, like, green. Or, you know, we'll have a room where, like, everyone's being huh. very, very, like, honest, very, very open, sharing. Uh, and probably, the like, the the best thing was that you would always assume best intentions you know if if someone kind of crossed a cultural or gender or whatever line you wouldn't go off on them you wouldn't think they meant it like maliciously um and and like i think that was mostly a um function of there being little to no trolling on on the platform so i, I really think that it was the platform size as well as a few of those elements that really made it this like wonderful place and and like, I think in like some ways clubhouse was a very unique moment in time with the pandemic, with it getting very buzzy, with it getting all the VIPs in it, that some of that you just, you just like can't replicate. But I think a lot of it you can by having small communities that have clear purposes, clear norms, and you just, you just really have to defend against like, entry, like, like whatever you want to call it, uh, entryists. You know, people who will come in there and practice and and pull from from the Darvo playbook. Like there was a there was a really cool room that came about after the whole anti-Semitism thing that was called Bring the Silly Back. And it was this room that went for um eleven days straight. And it just did a like a like whole bunch of like silly things. We played games, just kind of hung out. It was great. And basically close to the end of that time period, that was like a like preordained time period. We were going to go for that long. So someone was so offended, uh, faux offended by the name, bring the silly back. They brought it up at one of the town halls, which is like a weekly thing with the founders and clubhouse. Um, they brought it up at the town hall that 
this this room name was a microaggression and like reading it in the room list was like a dagger stabbing her in the heart and she got dms from like 50 people about how this room name was so awful you know which is obviously bullshit um and and like you so like you really have to defend against those kind of people who know what buttons to push and like i think if your community is very clear about that and doesn't come up with the mia culpa afterwards and just says okay like this is the way we are you can go to twitter you can add taylor lorenz you can add cnn whatever like this is this is our community you really have to be able to deal with that backlash because i because i saw like so many people who really shouldn't care who who are financially independent like they would let anyone who came close to calling them racist like push them back into private rooms like you know you're like racist if you do this or this or this or this like I think that's not like I think it's just a natural flight reaction for most people. I think if you're if you're going to build these small communities that if they're really good, people are going to want to get into them and are probably going to want to have some level of like control like uh socially. You you just have to be ready to tell the you know the people who are obviously just doing this as a as a social game to pound sand and deal with the, you know, 200 Twitter people that will message you over a weekend and then and and then it's over. Um I th- and, and like I don't know how prevalent that would be in a quote unquote normal community that wasn't Clubhouse, that wasn't the birth of Audio Social, that wasn't where all the celebs came to hang out. Um, I don't know how prevalent that will be in just like regular communities, but I think it's something that you know you you really have to be ready for. And Vox Day, I mean Vox Day and I are not on the same page on on everything, but like his his, his guide how to deal with like uh, culture war. Um, pushback is, is really really good just to like not give it attention and it'll uh um, go away which yeah. i think a lot which i think a lot of people don't know about and and definitely people on clubhouse did not know about when you know the kind of faux woke people started you know tossing their barbs at them they just like completely scattered it was it was a real it was a real thing to see so like and one one thing that I can think about for, I mean, there, I think there's. You mentioned that, you know, there there was maybe a ton of like really aggressive blue tribe that flooded in. Would you characterize it as sort of gray tribe to fall back on that old, old characterization? Um, I mean, like, w- would you tell a story where this is a gray tribe space that ended up getting overrun? Remind me what um, um gray tribe is, just so I'm hundred percent sure. Oh, I, I think it was a, a term that I think Scott used it originally in his, uh, I think in, I can tolerate anything except the out group, but specifically he was lining up this idea of, you know, a red tribe and a blue tribe in the United States that seemed to have coalesced at some point in maybe in the Obama presidency or, or the late Bush presidency say. And he was identifying the gray tribe as separate from these two, maybe comprised of certain weird subcultures. So mm. rationalist, rationalist adjacent, yeah, 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 yeah. libertarian sort of, there's a lot of overlap and not, not anything with like a real common set of, of standards, but apart from standing apart from these other two groups, perhaps. Got it. Yeah. You know what? I would say that's a perfect characterization because like early, early clubhouse, like even before I was there was like a lot of like weird Twitter, like, 
a lot of those people who would be comfortable now doing public rooms. Like usually what happens is when your tribe is like outlawed by the greater clubhouse, then you get pushed into private rooms. Um, so yeah. And, and like, there were like, there were just plenty of like weird people of like nerdy people of like whatever. And like, I don't, like, I guess it would be mostly blue tribe and, and yeah, like one of the, one of the like earliest clubhouse rooms, uh, that was named something like to me that kind of said, Oh yeah, th- this is over now. was like right after they really diversified the population. Like, like I saw tons of rooms, like, you know, why are there so many nerds on here and like blah, blah, blah. So, um, I would definitely uh, say that's a accurate characterization. Uh, like, Maybe it's a bit reductive to just say gray tribe and um, a blue tribe, but but it, but it was like definitely like people who had who had kind of built this space on these norms, and up to a point, everyone who had joined had tried to become part of that community. So it was like a one a one community thing, and you and you would like learn about the norms, and you would kind of respect them, and then at like one point, uh, yeah. it was just like okay, this is no longer one community now. This is multiple communities, and. Uh, like one one community was far more comfortable than the other, I think, with uh, infringing, trolling, whatever. Um, and yeah, basically, like a lot of the people, I, I think that the the kind of people who will only come come out into public, kind of, or kind of like engage with the community when there's very low levels of trolling, when it's a very easy value proposition for them. Those people were the were the first to leave just like people who are like, well, you know, I, I have a really cool life. I, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be here if it's just going to be, you know, Twitter fights over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's another piece from, I don't remember the context that he was originally writing about, but I believe it was from Midkowski about this idea of evaporative cooling where eventually if, if the, the tone of a society changes such that, you know, um, uh, like a lot of people come in who are violating norms. You can try to push back against that and maintain the community that exists, but it's almost easier in a lot of ways to just leave and, mm-hmm. you know, to, to go with like a Hirschman, Hirschman framing to exercise exit rather than voice or loyalty. And, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe the appropriate response is some kind of Picard thing. Like, you know, they invade our systems and we fall back. They, it's like, but, yeah, 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 yeah. but I mean, also realistically, like there are not that many people like us, you know? And I, I mean, like, I, I just don't see great tribe as ever potentially becoming a force in society that's dominant. And if it did, I think that would really be changing our character anyway. So, I mean, the question is like, how, how do we continue to live and have communities where we can meet new people? And at the same time, if we create something that's really cool, like not have it be completely overrun mm-hmm. by, you know, by the, the normie hordes. The fucking normies. And, it, yeah. and it, it seems like, it seems like a really tough problem. Yeah, because there's there's kind of two two competing ideas there. It's that you want this this community, like once you build it, you want it to be protected, but you also want it to be discoverable by people with the same set of social norms or people who will who will integrate into it rather than you know tr- kind of start wars and like kind of make it into their like uh, own thing. And I think it's really hard, um, like. 
Clubhouse, for me, I only discovered it really because of a few articles. Um, Sonia did a YouTube video on it. And like one night I was just like, okay, I'm now posing a challenge to myself that I will find a way in. So I Googled, found the website, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it's like really, really hard. And like someone even asked who who I'm um, really good friends with. Someone asked. So if we made this again after it was obvious, like like this was done. So if we made this again, what would stop another reporter from hitting the you know hitting the like post button and saying this is a invite only like elitist whatever group and you know you and you know using that pressure to get it to to change and like it's a really good question like you like you almost have to completely sacrifice discoverability and have these like it's like invite only communities where you have to know someone. And like, I mean, uh, not that I would ever download something that wasn't legal, obviously, but private torrent sites happen because public ones that they finally, the uh, feds and Interpol and whatever finally got traction. So then we had private uh, uh, torrent sites that, that you need invites to like this invite only thing is not new. Um, and I think that's yeah. the only way. Uh, and, you, and, and like you, you really have to, um, I think place value on the culture that's there because one of the things I noticed about Clubhouse was that when it began to change, like there were there were like so many people saying, "Oh, well, you know, big deal. This is just like real world now. Uh, it was always going to be this way." Um, just like reason after reason why. Oh, well, you know, it's it's no big deal because um, I think because most of the new people were kind of in the in the normie contingent, like. Uh, who maybe don't have that much problem finding uh, finding spaces like just just outside of this in the before times that it was like oh well well okay it was it was kind of a really neat thing now it's just this other thing it's fine and like I think that the that the people who kind of fled were were like well no it was it was actually something really really different and uh, that that lack of wanting to preserve it definitely factors into it so like, I think you really need to be clear about what you create if you're lucky enough to create that. And to like really value it and and take steps to to uh, uh, protect it. Like uh, my most um, um, populated group now on on Clubhouse is actually a, a club for people before it went to the public app store. And one of the reasons that that it works so well is that there is a clearly defined reg date cutoff. If you're post this date, you're not getting in. And like. In in the, in the beginning, some people were like, well, you know, th this person's cool. Can I have this person? You just have to be really firm about these are our community norms. Like, we're not gonna rules lawyer with them. You know, if you don't like it, then you know you're that's too bad. You're not obligated to be here. And I just think a lot of communities have a problem with that for various reasons we've um, already talked about. So, uh, so I think if you can get those kind of few things right, I think it's actually somewhat easy to preserve it i just think it's getting that that like initial uh buzz magic whatever like like for for clubhouse it was well these are all where all, all the celebrities are everyone wants to be on it i think for for regular communities you need to offer something you're not going to find elsewhere or or something that is not viable to be a to to happen on, on public twitter maybe people being really really vulnerable or or like whatever but it has to be something that causes a critical mass um, and you, you have to take very concrete steps to protect it too. Yeah. Huh, man. Well, there's a lot for me to think about here. What 
I don't know. Is is there anything else that you want to cover tonight? Um, I think we've talked a lot about Clubhouse, a little bit about Scott. I mean, I, I sort of see, I guess I can tack this on. I sort of see what happened with Scott as pretty parallel to this where, you know, Scott had a really good gray tribe scene going. And I think to a certain extent he became too legible. And, you know, there were some people who I think are, are just not of that same, of that same tribe who, I mean, just, just sort of, I don't know, like maybe this isn't really a a charitable interpretation of what they're doing, but I, I don't know that I need to be charitable, frankly. I, I mean, like, there, there's sort of just this ultimate hatred of a group that exists that that is not of their tribe and and sort of a reflexive need to destroy it, I guess. And well, it's really funny you mentioned that because I was in a clubhouse room a couple a couple nights ago with with some notable um, Grey Tribe people, and I mean this is a little bit hyperbolic, but what they said was well you can't really beat up on weirdos just for the sake of being weirdos anymore. But if you call the weirdos Nazis, it's pretty easy to actually beat up on them. And I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. It's why uh, like when people like when people are, uh, are labeled as like Nazis, even if they're re- like, they're really, really, really close. It's always made me a little bit uncomfortable to see that because then it's not a, that it's not that much of a jump for other people who are a little bit further to be labeled that, and it's just an instant thing with the whole like you know punch Nazis thing. Like it's just an instant way to really to really like demonize uh, people and 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 tribes. And uh, yeah, I think oh yeah, words are skinwalkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we were discussing that earlier. Like yeah, yeah. So. So I don't know. I mean, so what what was their vibe? The the folks you were talking to, like, were they were they despondent or mad or like indifferent? Well, so this conversation was was not about Clubhouse specifically. It was it was more about this in a, in a wider like like cultural um, society context. But yeah, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of our our frame here anyway. Um, yeah. So um, one of them is actually pretty pretty maybe despondence a bit harsh, but it was, it was, it was in that vein of sentiment that like he, he basically said, uh, so the problem is that we all complain about this. We all these rooms, we all talk about this, but no one, and and this was a really good way to say it. No one with fuck you money is actually saying fuck you. Like there's very like if, and, and like he didn't say this, but like if it has been in the past, it's been through things like the like Mercer's funding Milo funding, whatever, um, funding, funding parlor. They're not even the same tribe. So yeah. 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 So it's, okay. What about, yeah. what about, uh, what about Balaji? I mean, that's yeah. like a counter example. He's definitely saying, fuck you. Yeah. So, I mean, Balaji is, is interesting in that the way he's doing it is kind of a direct attack on them. Um, and, and, and by them in terms of, of like the, like NYT or, you know, the uh, other parts of the press, like, uh, like obviously Kara Swisher. Um, so I think Balaji is, is like one of the first to like actively, um, do that. And I think the overall sentiment is that it's great, but that's a unique situation that we don't see repeated a lot. And like, I think in, in tech, it's kind of distorted a bit because I mean, tech is kind of for, for good and for bad. I mean, it's kind of this like bellwether of 
you know, this is what your industry can be like if you go ultra woke, if you, you know, if you go that, if you go that direction and like I, in, in quite a few ways, I think that's a good thing, but it does give rise to these kind of like um, sociopaths who, who use that as, as cover and who are just interested in building in, in like empire building and, and like grabbing power. Um, and like, I think you need really, really strong personalities with resources like Balaji to, to like stand up against that. And like, I think it's, it's also kind of perceived that, well, like, yeah, it's, it's great. He's doing it, but like one, one guy doing this, even if he has like three, three zillion dollars, like one guy doing this is not going to solve it. It's going to be when enough people feel free to be like, yo, this isn't right. Yo, this is the actual truth that there's like enough of them that this isn't viable anymore. Uh, so, so yeah, like, like I think the overall impression is that there, there needs to be more than, than one person doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I almost see money as not necessarily being so much a problem. Like, you know, it, 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 it almost feels to me more like it's just a matter of enough people who are sufficiently influential, who I think as, as you were hinting at earlier, just refuse to be canceled perhaps, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, I think it's also very likely that they face a lot of constraints that are just not obvious to, to someone like me. And I mean, my, my hunch is that enough of them are probably exasperated by what's going on that, you know, if there were something that they could do, they probably would. And I mean, even apart from that, I guess I'm disinclined to like, wait for somebody to come and save us, you know, because I, I, I don't know that you can do that. And I, I'm almost, I'm just biased toward finding solutions that can be enacted independently. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like one thing that's been, been made pretty clear to, to me at least by a, a clubhouse is that you like, you really have to advocate for your own community, your own self, your own, your own values, because uh, you know, even like, even if you, you consider yourself to be part of some larger in group, like there's always going to come a point where the, the large in group gets everything at once and it's like, hmm, what do we do now? Oh, we, we can split this into uh, multiple smaller in-groups. And then there will be this kind of battle for, for like supremacy as far as like like who who wins in that kind of environment. I think like you really do need to to create your own uh, create your own course, I guess, your, your own uh, a destiny, maybe like it's a, like it's kind of like like why I want to I want to like transition to being a, a, a founder is that, you know, it's like it's like great to have a, like a, a like great job if if you like your boss if you work for a great company whatever but you really have no guarantees that there's not going to be a merger or an acquisition or something in your circumstance won't change and then you have no control over what's going to happen next maybe you get another great boss maybe maybe your company stays the same maybe it's it uh, doesn't and i think it's really really the uh, uh, same for like communities that you know it's great if you happen to, if you happen across a great community you contribute a lot uh, whatever, but if you don't have like enough influence within that community and like all clout has a expiration date anyway. So like community clout, I'm not really that convinced is the answer. Uh, if like, if, if you're not holding the reins, it can, it can change in like just a couple of weeks, like it did with uh, a clubhouse. So I, I, I definitely think you should not wait for other people to generate your like utopias. Yeah. 
Huh. Lots to think about. Anything else you want to cover tonight? Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, do the do my uh, podcast. Maybe a little bit of. Um, uh, oh yeah, it. shit! You yeah. have a podcast, which is yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. So um, the podcast thematically relevant too. I think. Yes, yes, definitely is. So uh, the podcast is called the Out Group, and we only got one episode out so far. I'm working on a couple of things right now. Um, and, and basically like I've done a couple like informational things over the past couple of years, I've done like a, a, a couple podcasty things. Um, but it was really a clubhouse conversation that I am fucking mad. I didn't record. So it's so good. Um, a clubhouse conversation with Sonia about trust and safety and how it's kind of fucking ruined uh, the public square. Um, that really, I guess began me down that road of like, okay, so like what, what can't we talk about? And because I kind of have a current situation and again, this, this may come back to bite me later, but I have a, I have a current situation where I can pretty we can't much talk about what we can't talk about. <laughs> Some of us can, uh, I, I, I currently mm-hmm. am able to. So I was like, okay, so like, let's like, let's do something where we talk about what, what we can't talk about. Um, so, uh, and, and basically, I mean, in like, when I did that, that clubhouse room with, uh, uh, Sonia, it was pretty heavily into a woke period. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of overshadowed because one of the, one of the larger clubs press club was, was also doing a similar thing, but, um, it was, it was basically a like takedown of what everyone on the platform wanted, which was like more moderation, blah, blah, blah. Um, so like, I think there are certain people or, or certain groups who are able to, to, uh, um, uh, um, do that kind of thing is where it's easier for them to go outside of the, the Overton window than, than others. Maybe that's a, a, a different answer to what you asked before that, you know, if you're able to even break that, that Overton window a little bit. And, you know, when the community says you may not talk about this, if you have enough people saying, yo, no, no we're going to talk about it. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, fine that that's one way to do it. So, so then I thought, you know, this was really good. I got compliments about it. Like I personally, I think they're more due to Sonia cause she's, I, I'm a big time Sonia Stan. Uh, she's awesome. And it was, it was, it was a really, really Same. great. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. But, but then I thought, well, you know, let's try that. Let's try doing some things that, that like people that like either we can't or people don't normally talk about or, or like what, what's an, what's an out group that, that, you know, like, like pick an out group. And, um, so the, the, uh, first one I did was with, uh, some of, uh, our, our mutual, uh, Twitter friends who are into the conspiracy, f- uh, sphere, namely, uh, Jake from the damn woods and, uh, Dexter from the gaslight hour, Dexter slash pause. Our and, boys. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, it was really great because I, I had not done proper podcasts in like years. I thought, oh, it's gonna be awful, but it actually went off really well. We just like talked about conspiracy shit. And like, I, I go back and like, and like, I hate hearing myself and I go back and listen to it still. It was so good. Um, but one of the things that, that like, I really like about it is that at the end, like I get each of the guests to say, okay, if you were talking to the normies, like, what would you want them to know about this out group? Like, like what if your expertise does not get repeated when this thing gets covered? And I've got a lot of good feedback on that just from e- even this like first conspiracy episode is basically, um, I-, I think Jake said like, uh, yeah, yo, some people will like be racist, but camouflage it in conspiracy theory. So be able to like, 
to like find out who those people are. And um, Dexter said something even better. He said, uh, yeah, so like sometimes these people actually believe in what they say. They believe in not what the like news media tells you. They're actually secretly telling you. Um, and it was, and it was just really, really interesting because you, you like usually have to go through Twitter threads and get, and read Reddit and whatever to, to really get someone saying that in a way that people can easily pick out and be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense. So to have that at, at, at the tail end in, in like two minutes of like 30 minute podcast, I think is a really good way to get the, to get the, the, the better parts of those communities out there, you know, versus having to, to read a handful of Reddit posts versus what the majority of like the, the mass news media might be saying. So uh, that part I really like, and I am really pumped for uh, future uh, episodes, which are currently um, underway. And I'm going to actually uh, a copy of it from Mike Solana. Um, I think he's he's the first person to do this. Who's so yeah, you mentioned him before. Yeah. So Mike Solana is the one of the VPs of um, a Founders Fund. He also does Pirate Wires, uh, which is a Substack publication. Um, he's like mm. he's uh, like I don't know. I would uh, like I would say he gives off maybe a tiny bit of like rationalist vibes. Uh, he's kind of the like uh, mm-hmm. the yeah like he's. He, he kind of vibes rationalist in like a lot of the of of that group of people, like all the like VCs and and, and like San Francisco people. Um, he 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 uh, started a room or or was in a room with the uh, San Francisco district attorney that went into a whole Twitter. Oh thing. no! Yeah, so he's he's he, oh. he loves he he loves the city council of uh of San, of, of San Fran and he loves he loves the district attorney let's put it that way um I bet yeah so he writes about a lot of culture war stuff so he has this uh a sub called pirate wires and he now has a, a private clubhouse thing called pirate wave so if you subscribe to his sub stack you can invite to that club and then you can come up on stage when he does like follow-up uh, audio discussions of his pieces or whatever. So um, I'm probably going to begin doing that uh, as as like some of the outgroups. This first one was just a traditional recorded podcast, but I might do some of them as like, you know, here's this piece I wrote. Uh, we, you know, you can come on Clubhouse later and like actually actually talk about it. I, I think that's going to be huge media-wise for people, for, for bloggers to be able to write something and then like later in the day when when like everyone's on on clubhouse just create a room and be like okay yo we're going to talk about this this uh, piece i wrote uh so i'm very very pumped to see how how that turns yeah. out both of, of, for me of course but also in um a general because one one good thing about clubhouse is that it is pretty transformative is in in a lot of ways so it's, it, it it offers um something new that like more traditional mediums don't for sure yeah, cool. No, I'm I'm excited to see what else you bring. Do, do you have a schedule? Uh, yeah. So I've been no trying- pressure. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> um, yeah. So I've been I I am trying to do one now, which will uh actually take place on Clubhouse. So it'll be uh, a little bit on the, on the whole Scott thing, more more on uh on journalism. So I have a few guests, including someone from from um Reason Magazine, uh, and 
And I say someone just because I'm, I'm waiting for like final confirmations and a and like date mm. and everything. But uh, in one of the rooms about the whole Taylor Lorenz Andreessen thing, like I guess Reason was getting dumped on a lot. And I don't like it when people do that because they're because because they, they're like they're a really good example of how like cliquey journalism can be. And Reason's like never in the mainstream journalism clique. So I'm I'm really really excited yeah. to to have someone from Reason who will be able to talk without a bunch of like NYT normies uh, being. <laughs> Being shitheads about it, um, so that uh, hopefully yeah, maybe I should hopefully, talk to someone from Reason. Yeah, yeah, you should. Uh, my current favorite person from Reason is Elizabeth Nolan Brown. She writes really good stuff on like sex work, uh, digital freedom, blah blah blah. Um, so she's she's great, and I I I think she would be she she would love to talk with you for sure. So uh, she's always a, a cool person to reach out to. Um, uh, but yeah, so that will hope uh, that'll hopefully happen next week. And then it'll, it'll just be recorded. I'll have to do a bit of editing. So probably come out, uh, um, the week after, um, and as far as, as writing pieces, I kind of, I, I've been trying to do two a week, but it's, it's been, it's been, it's been tough because, uh, what I've been work what I'm working on now to, to like publish next, um, is the part of my series on the secret history of Clubhouse, which is kind of what we talked about, but in like way more detail. It's kind of it's kind of like a more uh, traditional yeah. history. Uh, this is the one where we touch on the whole like you know is is, is anti semitism like are we afraid to call out anti semitism if it comes from people of color like that like that kind of sensitive issue. So I'm trying like I'm going to get yelled at regardless. So I, I yeah. should I, I should not care, but I don't want to do it like properly so that one's taking a while but uh generally i do like one piece per week on 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 like something about like gender transition or, or something like that so i i get my my uh woke slash uh um sjw cred uh i was i, I was very pleased when sonia yeah. called me her her favorite sjw so I'm so I'm, I'm I'm still going off that. Um, <laughs> and the, the other the other piece, which is which is later on in the week, uh, usually what I'm, what I'm able to do is the more like culture war kind of current events or like drug policy stuff or like the more kind of serious, maybe more more right leaning topics. So I think it's an interesting mix so far. Nice. Cool. Well, congratulations on getting all of that out. I, you know, I personally am reluctant to put anything in writing for a variety of reasons, yeah. Uh, yeah. mostly related to sloth. So yeah. whenever people are able to do that on a regular basis, I'm impressed. Yeah. Oh, no, I, cool. And like, all right. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It's like super hard. And I, and I have mad respect for people who are able to pump out stuff consistently because yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Well, Hey, I am going to go and check on my extremely pregnant wife. Um, Ivy, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for for taking God almost an hour and a half to run through all of this. Um, it's it's really good to get the lowdown on like what is up with Clubhouse, and I don't know, just just thinking about how that that might generalize outside of that, you know, one one microcosm of a broader I don't mm -hmm. know, totally cultural clash. Totally. And if I might quickly shill my Substack, I do it. Oh, yeah, I don't know if I've already mentioned it. So my Substack is high V H I G H V Y dot Substack dot com. Uh, I have a bunch of a bunch of stuff posted there. M more recently, Clubhouse history and other things. But uh, yeah, go there if you want to if you want to read some cool pieces about 
um, gender, psychedelics, culture war, and uh, yeah, everything in between. Oh, we we didn't even touch on drugs. I forgot to mention drugs in the introduction. I'm I'm a terrible host, incidentally. <laughs> that's, that's, but no, you, I no, try. You know what that. That is fine. I kind of get burnout on like talking about psychedelics. I, I need l- like ever so many periods of talking about something else before I'm pumped to talk about them again. So that's that's more than fine. Yeah, legit. Okay, Ivy, thanks so much for coming on. Um, of course. Uh, everybody go check her stuff out and I, I will see you on the timeline. Sounds good, my friend. Good talking with you. <laughs> see you.